The preacher of my youth, Reverend Dr. Parker Daly, used to come up to the pulpit on Sunday mornings. He always had his Bible and a few notes that he had taken for his sermon, and he'd put those out on the pulpit, and then he'd take his watch off, and he'd put it out on the pulpit, and then he always had a handkerchief in his hand, and he'd lay it smack dab on the middle of the pulpit. Because when Parker Daly preached, he inevitably got worked up a little bit, and he'd start sweating, and he'd have to dab his forehead and stuff like that. Uh, this is not for me to dab my forehead because I don't get worked up when I preach. So, as you all know, a little more calm, subdued. Uh, this is to make sure that the faucet, which is my nose, I catch it before it finds itself all over everywhere. And So I apologize. I have a little bit of a sinus issue going on this morning. But as I said early on, we're continuing our worship series this morning. We are talking about these simple rules that John Wesley had laid out for us and how we might live as Christian community and Christians in the world. The ways in which we're supposed to strive to be in the world around us. John Wesley said that we are to do no harm. We're to do only good and stay in love with God. Last week we looked at what it meant for us to be a people who chose not to do harm in the world, who tried to figure out how to be a people, who stayed away from harming others. And today we're going to listen to the instruction and hear what it means for us to be a people who choose, who seek, to do good in the world around us is our simple rule of life. Because I think in the end, all of us are going to be judged. And we're going to be judged based upon what we actually have done in this life. I don't know if we will be given credit for what we thought about doing in this life. right? But it's going to come ultimately down to what we have actually done in this life. And that doing good in this world is not a spectator sport, dear friends. It requires all of us getting in the game, getting on the field, playing our part. It's about us intentionally giving our time, our talent, and our treasure to make a positive difference in the world around us. In the world that is St. John's as a community, but also in the neighborhood that is right around us. In many ways, I, I wish that I could be a better example of Jesus Christ than what I am. It's something I want to I strive for. I'm, I'm trying to. But I, there are moments in my, in my world and in my days where I'm reminded that I'm not quite there yet. Right? As much as I want to be, I'm striving for it. Actually, I'm pretty sure my wife can tell you I'll never get there. But here's a story I, I hope will kind of illustrate this just a little bit and the tension that we feel in our lives. Maybe you have felt. There was a guy who recently came by the church, and he asked us for assistance with the hotel room. And He came to the back door, and I had, I had met him and went downstairs, and we came in and visited for a little while. He told me his story. He was in transit from Denver, headed out to North Carolina for a job, but he was in Kansas City. He had stopped here to see a physician, and the physician was taking care of some physical concerns that he had. He needed basically, for us to help him pay for a night stay in the hotel that he was at. So we said, sure, we'll be more than happy to pay for it. So we called the hotel, gave him our card number, paid for his night stay in the hotel. I had a chance to visit with him a little bit more. I prayed for him about his health concern and about his travels and everything like that, and, and he left. He was grateful. A few days later, he called and left a message on my voicemail. And I was out of the office for a few days consecutive. And he left me a message and asked if there was any possibility that we could help him buy a spare tire for his SUV. 
Well, because I didn't call him back immediately, he called back again and left another message, but he wasn't exactly so nice in his second message to me. But once I finally had a chance to call him, I I just basically told him that at this time as a church, we weren't able to help him get a spare tire for his SUV. He thanked me, and and he hung up. And I just kind of went on, and I assumed that he would probably be somewhere along the way on his way to North Carolina. That was kind of the story he had told me. Until one Sunday after worship, I was out in the rotunda, and he came in after church. And he caught me out in the rotunda. We went up to my office, and we went to visit, and I asked him what was going on. And asked him, I I told him, I thought you were on your way to North Carolina by now. And he said, no, I got delayed, and I want to know if you can help me pay for one more night's stay at the hotel. Now, we have a policy at St. John's that we help folks benevolently one time per year because we get a number of requests from folks. And if we help someone more than once, they'll, they'll keep coming right back to the well. And they'll find different reasons for us to help them. And we could literally give away our benevolence fund to just a few people in their basic needs. We want to try to help as many people as we can over the year's period of time. So we basically told folks, we'll help you one time this year in some kind of form or fashion. He didn't like that answer so much, kind of pressed me on it a little bit, and I kept, you know, just reiterating our policy to him, and I finally looked at him and I says, don't you have any other churches or anybody else that, you know, you've been here a while, certainly you're working with someone else, and he looked at me and he said, no, you're the only church that I have been working with. Now, unfortunately, I knew that he had just lied to me in that moment, and the reason I knew is because the hotel that he was staying at had called us when we paid for his hotel to get our church's name and address so they could add it to the list of all the churches that were paying for his hotel stay. All right? Now, I didn't call him out on it. I just, I just stuck to our policy. I reiterated it to him in that moment. But he turned and he walked out of my office kind of in disgust. And from the steps, as he was descending the steps from my office, he turned back and he looked at me and he says, it isn't that you can't help me. It's that you just don't want to help. That stuck like a dagger in my ribs. Still kind of does. Because you think about Wesley's axiom, do all the good that you can, and, and how we try to figure out how to do that for as many people as we can. And then the rub comes. Some of those moments where you don't necessarily live quite into it. And I think it would have been really easy for John Wesley to think about Methodism in some different ways. I mean, come on, he didn't make it very easy for us to be good Methodists or Christians, did he, right? Do no harm, do all the good that you can, stay in love with God. What three harder things could John Wesley have possibly given us to try to figure out how to live into? Why didn't he simply say to us, you know, go to church when you're in town and you feel like it. Give a little bit of money when you feel like it. You know, volunteer if it makes you feel good. Be a good moral person because that's really what matters the most. If you see someone on the side of the road, they need a little bit of help and you've got some spare change, throw it out the window at I mean, honestly, that would have been a much easier Christian life to live. Amen? Right? But that's not what John Wesley gave us. Mr. Wesley raised the bar on us and said, do no harm. Rather, seek to do only good in your life. Thank you, Mr. Wesley, for giving us that challenge. Let's think about it for a moment from kind of the internal and the external perspective and how we could live this out. In this third letter written by the elder, 
he lays out for his audience a couple of images of human interaction. He gives us a contrast between the shortfallings of one and the, how one also represents to him the characteristics that model what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Gaius and Diotrephes, right? If you think about Diotrephes first, Diotrephes was a leader in the community that received this letter. The elder plainly says that he cannot commend his activities and his behaviors in the church because it's apparent that among many things, Diotrephes is egocentric, he's reactionary, uncooperative, controlling. He undermines the elder with malicious assaults. He's power-hungry and he's autocratic. You get all of that out of just a couple of lines of the scripture where the elder says that every time I say something, you discount my authority, you assault me. And for those who will not follow your leadership and your vision, you kick them out of the church. That's Diotrephes. The elder says that he's the supreme example of someone who seeks to do only good for himself, not for those that are around him. And that Diotrephes misses the example of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. But then the elder lifts up a different person in the community, Gaius. Gaius is commended by the elder for being someone who is modeling the way of Jesus, especially in the area of hospitality and what it means to seek to do good for others. Where Diotrephes rejects, Gaius loves. Where Diotrephes expels, Gaius receives. Where Diotrephes does harm, Gaius seeks to do good. Where Diotrephes is recalcitrant in his behavior... Gaius is cooperative. The elder praises Gaius for his work in the community, but also outside the community. In particular, the elder lifts him up for practicing hospitality with the strangers, those who were coming by the church. Evidently, there were missionaries who were traveling by in that day, and Diotrephes rejects them while Gaius extends a hand to them and he gives them support and care and sends them on their way. They're called the stranger in the scripture, but they go on to spread the gospel. Gaius is one who sees beyond the walls of the church. And what he's called to do is the good for in, he also sees as the call to do is good for the stranger. Most of us have probably heard Wesley in his little axiom on doing good. Right? You guys can probably all repeat this with me. Do all the good that you can, by all the means that you can, in all the ways that you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Right? We've all heard that axiom before. But if you think about what it means for us really to live that out, I think about it in the words of Jesus who describes what it means for us to seek to do good in our lives. Jesus invited his disciples to minister to him and as that and doing that to honor God and glorify God. And when he described it, he said, Minister to me by giving me clothing, food, water, shelter, by tending to my wounds and coming to visit me in prison. Now, the disciples were a little stunned by that comment. They didn't know exactly what Jesus meant because they had never seen Jesus in any of those circumstances. They'd never seen him hungry or without clothing. They'd never seen him thirsty. They didn't ever seen him without shelter. They didn't see him wounded. And they certainly hadn't visited him in prison. Jesus was never there in his company. So they were curious by what he meant. And Jesus said, you minister 
to me when you minister to any person, the stranger, who is naked, hungry, thirsty, homeless, hurting, in prison, when you minister to them, you minister to me, is what Jesus said. Seeking to do good for the least among us ministers not only to their personal needs, but ministers to our own Lord and Savior. And so I would say to you, yes, dear friends, we are to care for one another as a church community. That's what it means for us to be family, right? But there's an end to this as well. That as a church, doing good is a call from God to go beyond the walls of our community of faith and to seek out the strangers that are around us, to find their needs and then to stand in the gap. Let me tell you how we're doing that and how we're going to continue to do it. So last Thursday, we had our mission, service, and justice team meeting. We looked over what we had done in the past year and what we planned on continuing to do this year. This year, we are going to continue to support harvesters. It's one of the great ways in which we can help people who need the resources of food. Uh, One of the things that we do each fall is we participate in the most foul congregation. Now, seven out of the last nine years, we have won the trophy as the most foul congregation. I don't know about you guys, but when I grew up, They gave away prizes for first, second, and third place. Nobody else got a prize. Well, guess what? We got the participation trophy, right? (laughs) Wishbone award, because we didn't exactly have the most turkeys this year. But it's good. That's the first time in my life I've ever gotten a participation trophy, but it's nice to have. But we can also continue to support this. The, The benefit of it is, though, we know is... The number of families who at the holiday season, who don't have a holiday meal, the most foul congregations and how we gather together with our other United Methodist churches around us, we provide the turkeys and the meals for these people so they might celebrate and be thankful as well. We're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue our community can drive. We're going to try again this year to go around to our neighbors, put out sacks probably later on this fall. We'll put out sacks on their front doors. We'll invite them to participate with us in supporting harvesters and their needs because it's an easy way for us to engage our neighbors as well. In the long term for harvesters, we're going to continue our back snacks program. Each week we pack a small package of food that goes in kids' backpacks and goes home with them so that they can have some meals and some food to be able to snack on during the week. Julie Salmon, I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. Wave at everybody. Can you see her? Julie Salmon's a great person to be able to visit with and talk about that program because it's a small group right now that does this, and they could use more help to be able to do this each week. And so I would encourage you after worship to visit with Julie Salmon if that's something that you're interested in. We're going to continue to support agencies like Spofford. You saw in your worship guide a note that Saturday our Pathways class is going to lead an effort to go down and do some games and some crafts with some kids that don't exactly have good, stable home environments or those kinds of circumstances in their life. It's an opportunity for us to engage them and to serve those that are the stranger, those who are the needy. Della Lamb will continue to do that each year as we put out our Christmas tree and support a family and some of their needs for Christmas. Habitat for Humanity, Jerry Stafford, not here this morning, but Jerry's a great one to talk about Habitat with. He's been on a number of times. But we're also going to continue a couple of our signature kind of focal ministries that we have. And we're going to put a lot of effort into them this year. Baby Grace is one of those. So Ruth, Gerald, and Ashley Little, raise your hand, stand up. 
Ruth and Ashley are the primary leaders of our Baby Grace ministry. You'll see a box of diapers up here. That's just one part of Baby Grace. Inside your worship guide on the right-hand side of the, of the announcement, you'll see the announcement for the other aspects of this. There are a lot of under-resourced families in our community who cannot buy diapers with government assistance. They have to look for other ways in which they can do that and be supported. And we support a little over 100 families right now that are registered with us. Any Saturday that we do a diaper distribution, you've got somewhere between 55 and 75 families who come to receive the goods that we have and can give away because we live generously in that. But Buckner United Methodist, which is out east of us, is quite a ways east of us, has about 35 families that are inner city families that travel all the way out there. And they're wondering if we can take them on as clients, which means we'd have about a 35% increase all of a sudden. It takes a lot of time and effort to be able to support that. And we want to encourage you to think about being a part of it. There are a variety of different ways in which you can do this, from tearing down and repackaging the diapers to sorting through some clothes to actually going and being a part of the distribution that we do on those Saturdays. Think about being a part of Baby Grace. Or neighbor to neighbor. Allie put a a little thing together here that represents a, a typical meal that we might serve on a Monday at neighbor to neighbor. We have a group of folks that come. It's a small little group that come on Monday. They cook the meal together, and then they take it down to the Mary Kelly Center off of Bruce R. Watkins at about 51st. They serve somewhere between 15 and 25 people, depending upon what the crowd is that day. It doesn't take a lot to prepare the meal. It just takes some time and some effort. It doesn't cost a lot. And I know that Allie's going to be standing out in the rotunda in the narthex, and she's going to be looking for each and every one of you to sign you up to support one of these meals. So just to let you know, don't run out these doors at the end of worship, all right? Head out there and see Allie, you know, because this is a great opportunity for each one of us to be a part of serving strangers. But it's not just about our local missions, dear friends. It's also about what we're going to do beyond Kansas City. In March, we have plans to travel to Nicaragua to a small village called La Gracia. It's a coffee farming village that is in the mountains outside of Matagalpa, which is about two and a half hours or so north of the Managua area. We're going to go and we're going to work with and serve in an, in a, with a, com, a community organizing group called Rainbow Network. And Rainbow Network has been in Nicaragua for over 20 years. And they have a well-established network in which they work with these communities. Rainbow Network provides us the way in which we can engage these coffee farmers We can help them with a a micro-loan bank in their own village so they can start up little entrepreneurial businesses and be able to have a a side business that they can support their family with. We can have opportunities to sponsor youth in their education because in Nicaragua, your education for the government ends in the sixth grade. If you want to go to high school, you have to have a sponsor who can help pay for that during the school year at about $30 a month. If you want to go to college, it's a little bit more. It's about $45 a month to sponsor a kid. To assist also with their community program, they have a community after-school program. So all these kids that get scholarships to work for that and to earn it, they come back during the afternoon and they work with all the grade school kids in their local village. They help them do their homework. They help them uh, do some more reading and some more math and different things like that. So they tutor them is what they do in the afternoons. They have their little schools set up. But we can also do book drives, clothing drives. There's a way in which we can build homes for them. Or simply, 
go down and be in relationship. Because this is a group of people south of our borders who are under-resourced, but yet they are God's children, and they are someone that we could do a lot of good for. And then later this year, probably late summer, early fall, we're also going to take a a national BIM trip. We're going to go to White Eagle, Oklahoma, to the Ponca Indian tribe. We're going to go down to the reservation. Anybody who's ever been to a reservation know that there are ample needs on the reservation. There's a lot of good that we could do. Why? Because, dear friends, I've come to understand that the naked, the hungry, the thirsty, the homeless, the hurting, and the imprisoned, for the most part, They aren't sitting here in the pews today, right? For the most part, they're a community of people that are out there. And that God's inviting us to go out there so that we might intentionally seek to do good for those who are the strangers around us. And through that, minister to our Lord and Savior. So here's what I want you to consider this morning and and talk with your family about. Make some decisions on and how you might be a person who seeks to do more good in your own life. To be reminded that we live in a world that certainly has ample need. It's all around us if we would open our eyes to it and see it. And that God wants us all to be a Gaius, one who shows great hospitality to the stranger, one who models what it looks like for us to do good, seek intentionally to do good in our lives. And for us to pray, consider, and respond to an area of mission, service, and justice, one that we are passionate about and want to be involved in. So here's your invitation for today. A couple of things to consider. Number one, what are you currently involved in? What are you doing that is good in the world around you? Maybe today your prayer is simply that God continue to use you in that way and in it that you continue to do good for the strangers that you meet. But for others of us, I would ask you this. What keeps you from getting involved? Too busy? Maybe anxious or nervous about what it means to get involved? Don't know exactly where to start? Or maybe we just don't see the need yet? I would invite you to pray today that God might open your heart, your mind, and your eyes so that you might see the ways in which God can use you in the world to do good. Because ultimately, dear friends, I think that God wants all of us to be like Gaius, the one who went out and intentionally did good, especially for the strangers. So, friends, I'm going to invite you to seek to be Gaius, not a Diotrephes. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? So, gracious and holy God, we hear your invitation today. For us, a people who are intentionally seeking to do good in the world around us. Yes. For those who are sitting right next to us in our community of faith, to be family who cares for one another in tender and loving ways in the times in which we find ourselves as the hurting and in need. But to remind us also, Lord, that it's not just about our little closed circle, that you are really drawing us to go outside the doors and each and every day be a people who seek to do good in the world around us to find those who are the naked and the thirsty, who are hungry, for those who need shelter, are imprisoned or hurting, to know that they are the ones that you're calling us to go and do good. And that when we do, we minister to you, O Lord. 
in our shortcomings, in the moments where we miss this opportunity, we ask that you forgive us, O Lord, and give us another chance. A chance to respond so that we might seek intentionally to do good each day. And all these things we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.